Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode of Golden Eggs Podcast. Today I sit down with Max Phelps and Christian Kearns of Golden Eggs and discuss a few topics. Bear in mind, this is our first episode, so any constructive criticism would be more than welcome. And any future topics you'd like us to discuss going forward, please let us know. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Um, one thing I, I realized only after you mentioned your move um, over countries the other day, uh, you're, you're English. Well, I was English. I'm now Australian. I'm, yeah. I'm dual passport holder. So, oh, excellent. uh, grew up in the UK and lived there until I was 21, came here as a backpacker, met my wife here. Right. And then we lived back in the UK for three years, had two kids. Yeah. Uh, then we came over here. That was, that was when I became a permanent resident, which was 30 years ago, 1993. Yeah. Uh, had a couple of years in Sydney, uh, then about 18 months in Sydney, and then a couple of years in Brizzy. Yeah. Back to Sydney for five years, and then Thailand for two years, Vietnam for two years, UK for two years, back to Sydney again in 2008. Wow. Where were you, where were you born? South? North? You're obviously uh, south. Sorry. So, sorry. Outskirts of London, but I grew yeah. up in Oxfordshire, which is sort of middle of the West. Gotcha. Where they talk more like this than... Uh, Oh yeah, kind of like my Yorkshire. Name, my, my name's Max. No, 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 not no. My name's Maxwell Phelps, and we goes down the road and we has a bit of a laugh. <laughs> um, hot fuzz. Yeah, yeah hot fuzz. Yeah, the, that's, yeah, that's close yeah. to that's yeah. Bristol. So it's getting getting further over. Yeah, Bristol. I remember going to Bristol, and they were like, "This is a UK beach," and it was pebbles. And I was like, "I guess technically." Yeah. It's um. Yeah, I went. I did a, a year of. I, I say a year of university. I partied, but I did a year at Leeds Met. Oh, did um, you? No, yeah, that's probably proper Yorkshire. Yeah, regret going to the north. Um, yeah, probably should <laughs> probably should have waited six months to come here and um, do university here. But add it to the pile. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Yorkshire. Where? Um, sorry, it's it's you you know the term twerk. It's to move your bum rhythmically to music. Twerking, yeah, yep. Or in uh, Yorkshire, it's where people go from Monday to Friday, nine to five. Going to work. Knew <laughs> 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 was leading somewhere. <laughs> Going to work. Just, work. just come in here so you're more direct in front of the mic. Yeah. We'll have to get a third one. Yeah. Yeah. So you, right? Okay. So my timeline on you, I thought you know. In the UK, then you had a, a fantastic sales job, getting paid lots of money. Then you shot over here to make golden eggs. But Christian kind of filled no, me no, in this no, no, shitload no, no, in between. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I was with a multinational, you know, sales and marketing. Uh, when I was in Asia, I was two two years in Thailand. I was basically regional uh, negotiation and sales training for the wider. Asian market because they were just getting used to having supermarkets. Yeah, they were used to having a little hole in the wall where basically uh, they would give you permission to sell their product. Right. So the relationship between the supplier and the vendor was very much: we will allow you to sell our product, and if you misbehave, we will not allow you to sell our product, and then you won't have a business anymore. Right. And so you have sales guys that grow up in an environment of you know you dictate terms to your. Um, buyers and and then now you're dealing with supermarkets like tesco's and whatever and, and so they had to relearn a whole load of skills of how do you 
how do you sell to somebody who really doesn't can't be bothered buying from you and they're quite happy to just exclude your product from their stores? So was this early 2000s where like Asia was becoming the new frontier for Correct. basically everything? Yeah. 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 It's um, interesting. Everything, finance, sales. So you were in sales of, of produce specifically or what was... You, you, so Unilever sells like uh, washing powder and shampoos and yeah. and food products like Regulato and Flora and, and Continental Cup of Soup and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Rexona deodorant, just shitloads of stuff that you see in the supermarket. Right. And that became boring to you? The travel was I, too I, much? No, I, I joined Unilever to try to, 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 yeah, to have an, an international career, to try and move into different countries. It was fantastic living in Asia for four years. And, yeah. you know, you can just pop to Phuket for the weekend just because it's yeah. an, an hour away. Yeah. Um, so that was fantastic. And the kids were sort of, at, you know, in their early teens um, mm. or, yeah, about that sort of age. Um, but yeah, so it's fantastic. That's why I joined Unilever in the first place uh, and work overseas, which I did. Um, but then after 15 years, uh, they offered me a job based back in Australia. So that means working as a local Australian, hmm. but commuting to Asia. And it was like, no, yeah. <laughs> the shortest flight into Asia is seven hours. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're living in Thailand, you can, you know, Everywhere is like three hours away, except for Australia, which is part of, you know, they consider part of the Asian region. Yeah, there's some beautiful places in Australia that people don't go, which I think is, is heresy, which I'm, I'm only just starting to do before I call yeah, them. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, when I first came to Australia when I was 21, we, my wife and I hitchhiked around Australia. So we went right around the country um, hitchhiking. Hitchhiking. Yeah. That seems exactly. insane these days. <laughs> and in fact, a few years later, when we because we lived in the UK and then we came back again, and when we came back, we found out about Ivan Milat. I was going to say, it would be and exactly uh, yeah, he was time. basically oh. picking up hitchhikers along the route where we hitchhiked. Fuck! But we never got picked up by him. So, I guess the ignorance is bliss. You can just enjoy the trip, whereas these days you'd have oh, you know, ex hikers been picked up on Twitter. You're checking your phone while you're on the yeah, trail. Yeah, 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 yeah. What was your favourite? place you said you lived in a few well, we lived, but... so we lived in uh, Bangkok for two years we lived in Ho Chi Minh City or Saigon for two years yeah um, Bangkok I didn't really enjoy uh, it was uh, I was working internationally from Bangkok so that means I'd literally go to the airport Sunday night head off to Sri Lanka for the week and then come back Friday night um, and then yeah you know there was one period of time where I travelled 25 weeks out of 26 Oh Jesus! That's um, so. Like Monday to Friday, I was just away mm. um, and felt like a stranger in my own home. And plus the fact the guy, you know, socially, I I've always played football. You mm. call it soccer, but you're wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the guys that I played with were very much show up to the game, play the game, disappear. Right. Um, no social. No, none at all. Yeah. Uh, whereas in Vietnam, completely the opposite. It was. Yeah. Uh, it was very much football was how you got into meeting people and going out. And uh... do, do you think that's a colonial thing? Because the you know the social aspect of rugby was almost more important than the game in Hong Kong. I played for the Hong Kong Football Club, and it was you yeah. Know, you know they would pour millions of dollars into uh, 
artificial pitches before they were a big thing stands for, you know, the 20th relegation league to come and play a, a game on a Saturday or a Sunday and then everyone would go to these amazing clubhouses that looked over the racetracks to drink. And that's what you would do. And you would you would play with these different people. At a very early age, you get indoctrinated into being used to talk to the CEO of UBS for Hong Kong or you get and they want to talk to you because they talk about the old days of rugby for them so it's this like yeah so I think I think part of that and that's another reason why I didn't really enjoy Bangkok as much is that in Bangkok the expat population is massive yeah we're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of expats in in Bangkok um, so too many it's too many yeah and so when there's too many it's like you're in a city within a city so the expat community is a city yeah within the biggest city of bangkok you've got a city of like eight ten million people and you've got half a million people that are expats yeah um so it was a city within a city whereas um ho chi minh is a city of five million people but when we were there there was probably only about you know twenty thirty thousand um expats yeah. You're much, um, much better integrated into the community. Yeah, so it was, it was more like, an, and, and also there was very specific, there was only a certain number of like expat bars. Um, yeah, right. And so the community was very small. We could go on a Saturday night and I could walk into any of the expat bars and I would know about 25 to 30% of the people in that bar. Yeah. And the funny thing is if you know like 25, 30% of the people in the bar, you're more likely to walk up to someone you don't know and say, oh, I haven't seen you in here before. Right. And start a conversation. So I've got friends now, 20 years later, that I met just chatting in a bar because there was somebody I didn't know and I, and, or, or somebody that I'd sort of vaguely seen but wasn't sure. And it turns out they played for one of the opposition teams or something like that. So you just met more people. Yeah. As opposed to just whereas Bangkok was very clicky, it was like it was the, the people you knew that you kind of, if you went out with someone, that's who you're with, and gotcha. then it was just a bunch of strangers. Yeah, interesting. So Vietnam was, would be your favorite of the Asian countries. Oh, Do you prefer uh, it over England as well? Well, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've been back to uh, Vietnam heaps of times. I was back there again in October, um, actually for the the twenty fifth anniversary of the club that I played for. You're still going back for your footy club anniversary. Correct. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was uh, I was there during the 10th anniversary, and mm-hmm. this was the 25th anniversary. So it's 15 years later, and um, they're just all the old players. Um, it was really cool, actually. They had, they had some shirts made up, and they had the name of every player that had ever played for the club written across the shirt. Oh wow! So um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I love. I just love going back there and. I'm still silly enough to play, so. Yeah, and uh, get injured still. Well, yeah. The, the, this time I had a, I had a much better tournament because I went there for the to- the twentieth anniversary, and I, I actually got injured two days beforehand and couldn't really play. Mm. Uh, you also probably wouldn't have gone into the hospital if you hadn't have played that game last week. Soccer might have saved your life. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, I was just having a, a friendly kick around on a Tuesday, but uh, that was, you know, getting the ball belted into the kidneys and suddenly, you know, I've got a bleed where I shouldn't have one and, uh, yeah. and then I'm in hospital. Yeah, wow. Um, but, but yeah, so going back, after I, so after I left Vietnam, mm. that was when I left Unilever. So they, they offered me a job back here. I didn't want it, so they gave me a redundancy, which I thought, great, I've got some money now. Uh, I wanted to invest in property and uh, become a teacher. So I got trained as a teacher in the UK. Like 
teaching like high school, just a high school maths, high school maths. Yep. So your interest in property has always been there, but oh, you wanted yes, to be a teacher, right? What, what? That's a big jump from you know head of sales for Asian conglomerates to to teaching. Well, yeah, except that the, the the two years I was in Thailand, most of what I did then was was a you know teaching people how to sell, and we were running training courses and that kind of thing. Um, but I, I love uh, I love trying to help people understand stuff, um, and. I figure as a teacher, at least I'd get the same holidays as my kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, that I could have a job that I just enjoyed doing and then supplement my income with investments. Um, but I've read Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was 32. Yeah. Great book. 32nd birth, birthday. I never read books until then. Um, There's hope for me. Excellent. Good. <laughs> I could count on the fingers of two hands how many books I've read in my life up until my 32nd birthday. Could you name the books? Uh, I probably could. Mostly they were texts that I, t- I read for, read for English. Shakespeare. Yeah, there was two Shakespeare's, Merchant of Venice and, um, and Julius Caesar. <laughs> yeah. Merchant of Venice, Julius Caesar. There was uh, uh, Canterbury Tales, Chaucer. Okay. I mean, I've heard that's pretty funny. I don't know if it holds up to today. It's just all it just fart weird, jokes. No, it's just all weird foreign language. It's like, like, like English is a foreign language. Yeah. It, that, that was the point of doing it. It's like, oh, this is some of the first English it was written, but it's not English. It's like there's words that don't exist anymore. Mm. Yeah. So you spent the whole time doing a translation. Oh, that's, that's, that's not so interesting. So... Continue the chronology of, of your life. You teach for a few years and then you get sick of it? No, or? I was quite happy to spend the rest of my life teaching, but the, but, when I, but, but the plan was always to come back to Australia. And so I got qualified in the UK. The UK had a system called a graduate teacher program where if, if you had some life experience and a school was willing to hire you as a teacher, then they would give you a job as a teacher you could teach up to a 70% of a normal teaching timetable and then spend the other 30% studying. And, and I'd go to uni uh, once a fortnight and uh, do all the elements of a, of a PGCE, a postgraduate certificate of education. So do all the elements of that part-time whilst actually teaching. So I was teaching from day one on a 70% time. They, do recommend, they did recommend at the time that you sort of start on a 40% timetable and work your way up to a 70% by the end of the year. But my first week in the school, in the school, I was teaching on a seventy percent timetable, and that's a timetable of a child's week. Like so you're no, teaching. no, of a teaching. So, so there might be, a, you might have, uh, I don't know, thirty something. Uh, Whether there be something like five or six periods um, a day, so times five is about twenty five, thirty, like teaching periods. Yeah, a teacher would probably only teach for, uh, yeah, maybe maybe about 80% of that. So I was 80%, 70% of the 80%. Because oh, teachers can't be teaching every single lesson because you've got no time in between to prep and... Mark stuff. Exactly right. The so behind the curtain stuff. Yeah. So I was quite happy to do that, but I came back to Australia again and then found that in New South Wales, they don't like the qualification that I had. Ah, I've experienced something similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I came back to apply for the army, um, because I did a, a mix of IB and BTEC, I in the Australian eyes, have the qualifications of a high school student. Um, oh, or, no, not high school, year 11 or whatever it is, which is hilarious, but yeah. Uh, they're very strict here. The, what, yeah. do, what do they do here, GCSEs? 
No, that's that's that's, is that, that's UK. 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 What are they? A levels? No, 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 no. It's, 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 I wasn't it's HSC. 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 Yeah, HSC is brutal. It's fucking hard. Um, and I think from what I've heard, there's a, in a lot of countries they have a lot more emphasis around you know year ten or year eleven, whereas year twelve for us is like the the, the critical year. Um, yeah. But a lot of people will do their most important exams in year ten or year eleven, and then the year twelve is just a bit of a throw on. Right, because I, I know people that, anecdotally, obviously I wasn't there to experience it, they did the IB, the International Baccalaureate, and then went to their first year of uni, and they were like, oh, I did this in high school, yeah. basically, and they just chilled for the first year. But then I think if I'd done a full one of that, maybe they would have recognised it, but it was because of the mix, because yeah, the yeah. BTEC's a UK thing, but IB's international. Mm. But um, yeah, by all accounts, our educational system's pretty, pretty schmick. I mean, they send everyone from everywhere here, so they must be pretty good. Our unis, at least. Well, my my eldest had to. So my eldest and my second um, ended up in the same school year because of the, all the moves. It meant that he had to kind of start uh, year eleven when he was really old enough to be in year twelve or finishing year twelve. But he hadn't done year eleven, so he couldn't suddenly arrive yeah. here and do year twelve, having not done year eleven. So he had to go back and do a year eleven. And that and that was the year that his younger brother was in. Was that your decision, or you? The school? Had, no, that was the schools. The schools. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he had to he had to do year eleven and twelve, which meant he had to go back a year. But for me, it meant I couldn't teach. They basically said go back to uni for a year and repeat the year of study that I did, because they believed that this the, the I didn't spend enough time sitting on my ass. Oh, and the so theory. Even, and... even to to back then the the. Qualification was called a uh, graduate teacher program, GTP. Yeah. So because it, they didn't understand the name, they kind of had evaluated New South Wales and went, no, nah, not taking that. Yeah. Now, the same course that I did, you, you're awarded a PGC, a postgraduate certificate of education, which is acceptable in New South Wales, except because of the history of the GTP, they now distinguish between a PGCE that was done in classroom versus a PGCE that was done in school, and they don't recognise the one that was done in school. Right. Because they, cause, cause then, then they can be consistent with themselves and say, well, we didn't, like the other, we didn't like the other course before, so now we don't like it. So you've got, you've got a university issuing a qualification which the New South Wales Department of Education believes is not relevant. Is that does that not get does that not get uh, confusing when we had these years of COVID where people did stuff online? Surely you could say the same thing. They just don't like the online qualifications in a few years. They could just pull the same card. Potentially, you know. Ultimately, they might change their, their mind on what they do. But it just meant suddenly I was stuck with no work. No, um, yeah, no income. What I, what, I, what I wanted to do, I couldn't do. And what I want to do is teach. And so I, I became a mortgage broker as a fill-in. And it was only because I was at home doing some renos on the house. Um, I was doing a bit of consulting work on the side, but you know, in, in the old stuff that I'd done before in sales and marketing training. Mm. Um, and then uh, happened to see an ad for refund home loans and it's become a broker, we'll give you all the training and um, yeah. So this is actually what you stumbled into? I stumbled into mortgage broking, yeah, as a, as a fill-in. It's like, this is what I'm gonna do until I can teach again. Right, and then I guess, and then refund home loans. Yeah. They went belly up in 2011. Oh, so they got through the GFC and then they just cocked it? Uh, yeah, that's right. They, 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 they did they the were, hard yards and then they just well, couldn't operate it. Well, the problem was that the refund home loans was a business designed to sell franchises. Franchises of 
of, of, of a more of their model. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 So, so their business, their whole business model, their business revenue was coming from selling franchises, not from selling home loans. Um, and so they were getting brokers in as many as they could, as fast as they could. Yeah. Didn't matter whether they were any good or not, as yeah. long as they got bums on seats and people paid their fifty thousand um, dollar fee, and they, they had two hundred people that did that. So the brokers were paying fifty yeah. grand. Well, yeah, to it, become a refund home loans broker, you paid a fifty grand franchise fee. Oh, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's, yeah, it's almost yeah, it's al- like a, almost it's, it's a legalized Ponzi scheme. There's a lot of franchises that still do that. I'm pretty sure Domino's does that. Yeah, but yeah, they, they they don't care about how well he's performing. They just care about the fifty grand that he can bring to the table as a franchisee. So they they just care. They just want to sign as many people up. So every broker. So it's not a, like a new office. Every broker is considered a franchisee, so they have to pay fifty Correct. grand. So you have an office, one office, but five people. There's twenty two hundred fifty grand. Well, you you wouldn't have a, that. The way that they worked is that you would buy a territory. So so that fifty thousand dollars gave gave uh, you an yeah. exclusive territory. So I had the um, Summerhill Ashfield area. Yeah. Interesting. Um, did you get did you did you get a, a, a finder's fee for signing other people up? Uh, no, um, but I, I was actually the state mentor when before they went belly up. So I was basically mentoring other new brokers coming in. Yep. So within three, because I just got on and did it. I did what they said. I followed the system, um, became very good at writing loans and generating business and was able to support the family within about six months. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, there were a lot of brokers that were struggling and they didn't get a lot of support because they paid their franchise fee. So there's no incentive for the yeah for the head office to help them. So they would so they were basically using my time for free to help you know mentor and train brokers. Well, they're probably selling you a bit. You know, come pay you fifty grand. We've got you know Max here making you better. All, all of that sort of stuff they were doing. But I, I remember having conversations with with people. These were brokers that had done their broking course, that had done their cert four. And I remember having one who, who didn't really understand what interest only and principal and interest was. Wow. And I'm like, what? Fairly major. <laughs> Fairly important. <laughs> yeah. But they didn't care. They just didn't care. So they yeah. would just take people on. And then they went belly up in 2011. And uh, all of a sudden we were given the option of either staying with refund and being sold on to a new owner of refund home loans. Um and then we would get to keep our trail book or walking away and leaving the trail book behind. Right. Yeah, here's the other nuts thing. So they, they had ownership of the actual trail Correct. book, which if you know anything about broking is your most important asset as a broker. Yeah. Um, but they had control of that. Yeah, correct. Which is... Yeah. And uh, so I took option three. Go next. No, so I set up Golden Eggs then, but I actually took option three when it came to either walking away without my trial book or staying and keeping my trial book, is I sold my trial book to somebody that was staying, who's a really nice. good friend, yeah, and with no, no repayment required unless they paid her. Yeah. And so uh, to this day, she still pays me trial commission on my loans. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, that's that's the kind of that that, that was the, the deal I set up. But most people walked away from what they had. Um, but I start, started Golden Eggs, and so for me, my wife and I started Golden Eggs. 
initially it was just we needed we, we wanted to focus more on investing um, because that's what we were doing ourselves we we had our three investment properties in the UK uh, that stage I think that's all we no, 2011 no we had our uh, had three investment properties in the US which was actually 11 units um, so they call it doors there right there's like properties and then doors like if you yeah so we had within... we're, we're, it, it basically 11 rentals in the US and three in the UK so we had 14 rentals yeah so we wanted to focus more on investors, and so that's what Golden Eggs was set up for. And again, we needed a name that was memorable, and we also could make a visual from it. And we, you know, we talked about Golden Goose or something like that. But the problem is, you, <laughs> if you've ever tried to draw a goose and then say, "Well, what is that? A goose, or is it a duck, or is it a swan, or is it a?" It's like, no, that's actually a mallard. <laughs> <laughs> or is it at yeah. least an egg? You can draw an egg and everyone goes, that's an egg. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Um, so, yeah, Golden Eggs was born. And uh, um, another uh, one of the mentees that I was working with, uh, Belinda, um, she, I said, look, you know, what are your plans? She said, oh, look, I'm just going to try and carry on doing stuff. I said, would you want to join us? Um, I said, look, it's just a walk-away agreement, so we'll just work together while it suits us, and if it doesn't suit us, we'll stop working together. So she joined in, and then about a year later, um, Nicole, uh, who was also another ex-refund broker, she then she tried on her own for a while, but it's quite... Broking is a very lonely business if you're working as a solo mm. person, uh, whereas when you work as part of a, a team, then you can go, okay, all right, well, we need to do some stuff Who's going to do this bit of stuff? And it's much easier between two or three or more people to split the workload, to share knowledge, to ask questions, to just, you know, just easy work, easy working together and is working on your own. Yeah. What do they say? You can go, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Correct. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. So Golden Eggs was never just a broken shop. You're, and it makes sense from hearing your always been passionate about teaching people. So it's always been set up as a, a vehicle that or underwrites loans, obviously, to facilitate the investment, but teaching people the property plans, the helping people get into investments, is that yeah, the idea exactly from the start? Exactly right. Because so, there's a dearth of knowledge. I mean, people just don't know this stuff. you know. And, and I, I made stuff up as I went along and learned stuff and made a lot of mistakes on the way, um, but that was the stuff that I was interested in, so I was just always interested to learn more. Um, and the other part of it that we learned along the way is that um, uh, my wife and I are polar opposites when it comes to money. Mm. So I'm a tight ass. I was raised in a family of nine kids where waste not, want not. You don't waste stuff. You don't throw stuff away. You reuse it, recycle it, whatever you need to do. And you don't want for things. You don't, you don't um, what's the term? when you uh, not lust after something but you, you're, you're kind of you, you, it's just something I want or oh, got to have that thing it's like no don't do that yeah that, that's that stuff for, for full, that's a fool's game because you're never going to get it kind of thing like yeah, a so morbid when, when kind of, of nine kids you're never yeah. going to get it and so don't and, and by the way they're not happier if they when they want it and they're not happy when they get it um, yeah, yeah. so constantly striving to get the thing that you think you want that's going to make you happy is never going to make you happy because if you can't be happy now, today, mm. with what you are, who you are, and what you've got, then you won't be any happier tomorrow with something else. It's, it's almost a stoic philosophy, I Correct. suppose. Yeah. Um, but it's also a scarcity. Is it a scarcity mindset? Because you go, well, 
you don't know when you might need the money or whatever. You don't want to waste it on on. on that's that's exactly so. So you've got that combination, but at the same time, I've I, you know, I spent thirty something years with Kelly, and Kelly's Kelly. She grew up in a family with very little money as well, but her in her family they were gamblers, and so when you when you got gamblers in the family, you've got even less money because money's getting spent on gambling. But every now and again, you get the win. When you get the win. Oh. So when, you get worse. The, when you get the win, it's like now's the time when we get the new fridge. Now's the time when we get new clothes. Now's the time when we get new toys. So, and it's all about the win and celebrating the win. And, and if you've got money, just spend it as fast as you can because you never know when you'll have money again. Jesus Christ. So you've got those two things happening. Yeah. And um, we managed to make it work through our 20s only just where basically our, my job was to earn and keep getting promoted. Um to cover the fact that all of our money was disappearing yeah as fast as we were making it yeah um but Which we is, sorry yeah. go on well i was just gonna say it's, it's a trope as old as time that's you know it's a, what? a, a trope uh is it the wrong <laughs> word a tale as old as time. a tale as old as time so, okay you know <laughs> a trope make more spend more a trope's go. like a reoccurring theme in a movie right right okay, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. oh you, did, you didn't know that no no i'm 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 English may be my first language, but there's a lot of words I don't know. Trope. Yeah, it's like... Um, See, I'm I'm super dyslexic, so if I say something and people don't just go along with it, I immediately think I'm wrong. But it kind a, of works, a, a trope. A malappropriation? A trope. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you lost it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A motif? Uh, no, no. A motif yeah. in life. Um, yeah, no, that's, 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 we'll, we'll work with it. That's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, no, it's but, very yeah, so, true. And, and so when, I be, uh, and when we moved to Thailand... Uh, Unilever used to pay me a portion of my salary in Australia and a portion of my salary in Thailand. And all of a sudden, we lived on the money they paid us in Thailand. And it was a bit too much faff and hassle to take the money from Australia, so we didn't. For savings. So it was like for, it was like for savings. So yeah. that's that separation. So we sort of realised or I realized that actually separating money and hiding it from yourself works well. So even when we went to the UK and we weren't getting, we were only getting paid local salaries, when I famously took a 93% pay cut to go from an expat, um, expat with Unilever to a, a trainee teacher, I, 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 my pay dropped 93%. The worst trade deal ever. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but we realized that it was the separation of money that was critical. And then when I became a broker and I started having conversations with people about um, their savings, and typically they would, you know, people would, there were those people that would come along to buy their first home with their hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars in savings, and those people that would try and buy their first home and they had like twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of savings, and there was no correlation between savings and income. I, my my brain is wired for patterns, okay? So I look for patterns, and there was no relationship between income and savings. So the more you earn, the more you spend. Therefore, savings do not go up. The only correlation I noticed between um, savings and anything was savings and bank accounts. So if you've got m many, many bank accounts, your savings will be much higher than someone with only one or two bank accounts. Right. Yeah. And that's how my wife and I operate now, but not how we used to operate. So I could see people that were bad at savings just set up the same way that my wife and I were. Um, yeah. So it, it, 
it wasn't instilled by you because I know a lot of uh, Brits that come over here, like of your generation, you know, my parents. old again. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said generation. Um, you know, you had parents that probably grew up during air raids on their homes and they went to less yeah, than no, zero. They were kids. My, my, my parents were kids. My dad was born in 43, so he... he 43. Um, oh, because everyone had kids when they were super young back then. So he's not that... He, he... Yeah, Max isn't that old, though. Yeah. No, but what are you, 50-something? <laughs> 55. Yeah, so I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> but, but if they, you know, they had you when yeah. you were a third, in your third, their yeah, 30s. Yeah, no, no. So, so um, my mum was 30, my dad was 24 when I was born. Okay, that's actually pretty old. My, I think my mum was like 21 or something crazy. Yeah, I, my, I look at myself my, now as 28. I'm like, yeah, my, my dad was 21 when my sister, my eldest sister was born. Remember, I'm one of nine kids, so I just have so, to be yeah. the third one. Oh, yes. Okay. One um, of nine. Boy. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're big. <laughs> and one family. Jesus. Um, but yeah, so I've noticed these patterns of people and their spending. And so... I started trying to help people, you know, and I used to say back then you need a minimum four bank accounts. You need at least two transaction accounts, at least two savings accounts. And and I actually became, I got myself qualified as a financial planner so that I could actually um, give advice around money management. And then I realized that that's not what financial planning is. Financial planning is selling superannuation, managed funds, shares, and insurances. And the household budgeting is something that you can kind of do, but... It's not regulated. Not regulated. It's not really, you know, it's not really a thing. You tell people to open up a bank account. Well, that's not really giving them advice. It's, it's not considered to be... It's, there's no financial product there. Um, so you didn't need the qualification to do what you considered financial product. Yeah, and the, yeah. Sa- and the same with... I uh, uh, wanted to give people advice around investment properties, around invest... You know, why should invest in, in this type of property, that type of property, why you should make sure that you cover your risks and how to manage those kind of things. So what the qualification I, I learned a lot from, but at the same time, it's not regulated. Investment property advice is not regulated in Australia. And so, in fact, I, I was encouraged not to give advice around investment properties and not to give advice around budgeting. So Even though it's unregulated and therefore there wouldn't be a repercussion? Yeah, but, but, but then the, the licence holder wants to be conservative and why are you giving advice around stuff that's outside of our scope oh right so, so they, they were worried yeah. about the the risk of you know either future regulation or or people coming back to you because people don't understand what your qualification is they don't understand what the licensing is they would just feel like if they got some advice they didn't like that they would come after you hmm. um, and yet what, nine times out of ten if you explain to people this is how things work they understand they go look I can't really advise you I can't really tell you this is the right thing to do or wrong thing to do what I can show is if you do this this is the consequence and if you do that that's the consequences and I'd be super uncomfortable if you did this and less comfortable less uncomfortable if you did that now it's up to you what decision do you want to make and people understand that and they'll make a decision Um, whereas in financial planning world it's much more about you need to do that one there is a right answer for everyone. So there we'll, is a cookie cutter we'll then, approach. Yeah. yeah. It's like, how old are you? Should you have a risky share profile or should you be more conservative with your shares? And you need, you definitely need insurances. Let's get you signed up for everything. And shares beat property. That's, I'm a, I, did, I did part of the course was like shares beat property because, you know, shares grow at 8%, property grows at 6%, therefore shares win. Yeah. It's like, you know, not put my blinders on. Let's not yeah. think about anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's like you can... You, you run stuff through a model and go, no, 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 property absolutely annihilates shares if you borrow money, which most people do to buy property. Yeah, so if you, if you, if you modify the statement to say cash on cash 
if you're just using cash, property uh, will probably lose to shares most of the time. Um, but as soon as you start gearing and realising that you can gear far cheaper and, and far more into property than you can into shares, then you realise that, yeah, that, that that gearing magnifies your gains. can also magnify your losses. Correct, yeah. Um, but, you know, it does massively magnify your gains. Mm. So you were kind of going out on a limb when you started advising on all this stuff that other people didn't want to touch. Well, to a certain extent, yeah. But it's, it's more that... Um, again, what I found is that people want the education. They want to understand more than they want to be told what to do. The whole teach a man to fish kind of thing. Correct. Yeah. 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 Give, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you fish. You feed him for life. Yeah. But but people wanted the it's the information that people want. And so again, I'm an educator at heart. You can get, again, it's one of those things. You grow up in a family of nine kids, and you you have to teach your younger brothers and sisters how to do stuff because mum and dad don't have the time. Um, right, you know, that's where you, that's where you identify your like love of teaching from. Yeah, and I've got several. You know, my eldest sister, she's a languages teacher. Um, oh, interesting. So there's actually other siblings that are. Oh yeah, I've got that way. So other yeah, other sisters and brothers that are, that are sisters that are teachers. Cool. Um, so yeah, it's just one of those natural kind of things that you want to you know you want to help the family. When, when there's a family of nine kids, you think of everyone as part of the family then. It's, yeah. it's easy to go, yeah, 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 we want to help you. you bring, bring you in. You're part of the family now. Let's, how do we help you kind yeah. of learn and grow? There's so many of you, the lines are blurred when you start yeah, getting further right. and further out. Yeah. So identifying that as like, you know, helping mom and dad bring up your own siblings, how do you find, like, are your kids the same way inclined as you? Or like, how do you find passing on your knowledge to, to oh, your yeah, family? It's, it's, it's amazing to see, because obviously we've got a grandson now, um, and uh, to see my son with his son just literally mimicking a lot of the stuff that I did with him when he was a kid. Nice. Um, which, again, it's just it's how, do you, how do you get the lesson across? Because if they can learn the lesson, that will stay with them forever. Yeah, right. You teach him the lesson, he teaches his kids, and it goes on. Correct, yeah. 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 Do you, do you find... With your kids, you find it best that you you show them what you do, or you sit there and do them with like a client, like because so, so it's very different. Because again, we got the problem with kids and parents is that the relationship is is skewed by the fact that you're just dad. So my eldest son Josh, he yeah. like a day one just went, "What do I do? Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it." Yeah. Second son is like, "Yeah." you is that the dad's not cool parents aren't cool oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that kind of thing it's yeah. and, you know and it's 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 kind of carried on i mean there's elements that he's kind of as, as he's gotten older he's realized actually maybe i should have been doing what what my brother did maybe i should have been doing what my dad was saying yeah um but it's much easier uh you know to, to it's much when i when i talk to someone i've never met before and i start you know, probing into how they're doing things and whatever, then it's easy to spot what's what's wrong with what they're doing, what they could do better, what <clears throat> what things they can I can add to them so they can know a bit more, so they can they can grow their portfolio, they can do a little bit better. <clears throat> but with kids, it's um, yeah, it's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. I never thought about that to be honest, as I'm the only one here without kids. But yeah, that yeah, you can have a. I guess it's like those things you like 
you know, uh, famous musicians, their kids still expect them to, you know, feed them, make them chicken nuggets. It doesn't matter if you're the lead singer of Slayer or, or whatever, that, like, parents of just my parents can be disadvantage. Yeah. A disadvantage if you're, if you got, if you let it, like, the opposite of a rose-coloured lens, what would you call it? Like a negative oh, yeah, tint yeah, on yeah. you. Yeah, yeah that's, right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Those glasses you have for, for dyslexia. Yeah, the Erlen lenses. <laughs> yeah, I should still be wearing those. But, um, yeah, wearing hot pink aviators doesn't really do much in the chick department. And that uh, overrided everything at about 16. So. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I guess, I guess with, with, you know, with clients, they come to you because they want help. They're also adults and they're at a stage where they're, where they're willing to take on advice. But kids... You kind of have to take a different approach sometimes. I mean, there's still there's still some adults that don't, and there's still some adults yeah. that will come along to us, and they just go, just just get me alone. Just just I don't really care what you want to tell me that might you think might help me. I know what I'm doing. Yep. You know, and, and you look at it, and you have, you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's a bit like with the you know with the money coaching and how to, helping people manage money is people assume that they're doing okay, therefore they're managing their money okay. And it's like, yeah, but you're doing it in an inefficient way. Yeah. Um, you know, Robin Claudine is a classic example. I was working with them for a year, literally mocking them for how silly they were being with their money. But as far as they were concerned, it was working fine. They were happy. But eventually they, they said, well, in fact, we showed them that if they just kept on doing what they were doing, it would take them 25 years to pay all their mortgages off. And they had the home and three investment properties. So they'd have all, all of them paid off in 25 years, which is brilliant, except the fact they were 45 at the time. When you're 45 and you had 25 years on, you're looking at 70. You go, okay, brilliant. Your home and three investment properties paid off by 70. But I said, but if you change some things, we can cut that back by 10 years. Now. When you say that to someone, they go. When you say to someone, say, yeah. say, you can have everything paid off by the time you're 60, or it'll get paid off by the time you're 70. Do you want to listen to the thing that's going to close that, give you that 10 years? Yeah. And so, they, so eventually they did and made the changes that we recommended. And after making the changes, they, they just felt like they were idiots for not doing this sooner because I kept saying to them, this is what you need. You need to be changing some stuff. You need to be doing some stuff differently. But they weren't ready to learn. They weren't ready to listen until they realized that it, it, it was going to make a decade of difference. And now they just can't believe how much, you know, their savings are just gone. Yeah. So do you get a lot of clients like... A lot of people that approach you for this kind of help, are they just been trying to do it and they just struggle and they go, they just finally admit to themselves they don't know what they're doing? Is that what most of your clients kind of are at? Or No, people come to us because they want uh, a mortgage yeah, and they want some investment advice and a friend told them that we were good. Right. And a friend told them that because of the way, you know, one of the best things that happened to us as a business was Christian started to see clients. Um, and I, I met with a client last night and I... I I saw them for the first time about maybe four or five years ago. And I look at my notes from that meeting. It's all on the whiteboard. It's all freehand. It's all kind of very sketchy. But when Christian had to see his first client, he's gone, I can't just make this shit up. I need some templates. I need, I need a presentation. So literally overnight, the night before his first appointment, I wrote him a presentation. And one of the things that I put into that presentation is something that I, I'd never done before, is to organise how we ask people about their goals. And so instead of just saying, what are your goals? 
I thought, well, it's better to break it down into one to two years because that's kind of what we know we're doing. Three to 10 years, that's the predictable next step. And then 10 to 30 years is like wish list stuff. But let's understand first the family structure. So if you've got kids, do you want uh, do you want more kids or are you just going to see the kids get to a certain age, start schools, go to high schools, become teenagers? Because they have a, that has an impact on the home that you're going to live in. Um, if you haven't got kids, then do you want to have kids? When do you want to have kids? And then if you're going to have kids, those kids eventually are going to start school and do all those things that have an impact on the home. Once we understand the family structure, then we can look at the home that you want to live in. Then we can look at the investments that you're interested in. Um, at the time, we didn't include career, but we do now. Um, that, was an, uh, that was actually a, an innovation from Tyler. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually super handy. Yeah, which, again, we're all, we, we, we don't care where the ideas come from. It's like um, yeah. somebody made a suggestion. We went, that's a really good suggestion. We built it in. Career, yeah. Careers in where do they want to be with their Yeah, career. where do they want to be with their career? So, so because it's no point me going, oh, well, you're earning $100,000 a year. How much, let's assume that your income is $100,000 a year. Yeah. But if your ambition is to get promoted and get to the next level within the next six months or 12 months or two years or whatever it is, and that 100 becomes 120 or the 120 becomes 150, that makes a very big difference to what your plans are and what you're, in terms of where you can live and what you can do. Yeah, and when, yeah, it's, it's very handy for when we're modeling stuff and going, well, this is what the income's going to be. Um, it becomes way easier for us to model what those future scenarios are going to look like. Mm. Do you ever sit there with someone and they're like, yeah, I'm happy with just making 100 grand for the next 20 years, and you go, that 100 grand isn't going to be worth 100 grand? Do you ever like but talk that, to them about that? You would yeah. expect them to get the inflation led yeah. pay rises. So, oh, right. okay. so you would expect that to keep place with inflation, although that often hasn't at the moment. Yeah. Um, but we would expect that to, go, to, to happen going forward. It's just for some people, what they're earning today, they're, gonna earn, uh, they're quite happy earning that or less in the future. Um, and it's also important to understand if someone's working five days a week, that their plan is to cut down to three days a week or four days a week next year or the year after. So most people that are coming in, they have salaries. They're not people that necessarily... We've got mixtures. Yeah. We've got a mixture. But even, even then, if you're running a business, what's your ambition for the business? Because right. you can run a business with the ambition of making $50,000 a year, of making $150,000 a year, or making a million dollars a year. That's a very different business. And if we don't listen to what you've got to say we don't know what you're trying to do but i've got so our goal is to, if we understand what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go it's much easier for us to then go ah oh, well we can't do this yet but when you get that pay rise we'll be able to do this at that point in time so let's keep things the way they are for now or let's do this at the moment knowing that when we want to do that later you should have the income to back that up yeah and uh, yeah as a result one of the most because of a lot of clients I get, uh, clients who are just, I'm 26, but I get clients who are about around 30, looking to buy their first place. They're on decent 100, 120K incomes. And most of them, I'll go through their goals. They haven't had a family yet. Uh, but most of them are saying, yep, we want to get a $1.2 million place, which is going to stretch ourselves right now. And then is only going to be suitable for, you know, six years because we're going to start a family. Yeah. Um, and then we want to upgrade to a $1.5 million place in, in six years' time. So a lot of conversations I have with people now because of that is, can we talk you down to something that's around the 800K mark that you can smash that mortgage in five years, seven years' time, and then all of a sudden skip that $1.2 million awkward property 
that's going to cost you what five percent of the the price along the seven, way and seven seven percent of the price along the way anyways skip that stage altogether and then go well now i have a big old deposit for my 1.5 million dollar place and by the way i can keep the first property that i bought yeah so but going back to the story of christian's first appointment i set this template up for him then we realized that the most important thing on that template is that one page about the goals mm. and then we just improved on that now we built into our web application to make it easier to for people to self-serve they can do it at home they can practice on it have a conversation at home in their own time and then they can show us what they've done and then we can sort of tweak things to make sure we understand it a little bit better but if you look at that versus what other brokers are doing it's like night and day yeah can imagine no no you know no one else you know, a broker says how much do you want to borrow how much can you afford to borrow do you want fixed or variable yeah, and they don't care if they have to tie in other mortgages or completely ruin your, you know, all those loans. I think I've heard some horror stories from Christian before. The way that you guys receive a client, everything's tied together and leveraged oh, off each oh, other. Yeah, or, it's all cross-secured and all that. Yeah. But, but there's that and there's also this, there's just simple bad decisions. The decisions that if you thought it through, you wouldn't make that decision. The classic example I love to give as well is um, uh, a client came to us and we sat down, did all the goals uh, uh, with him. And then two weeks later, his brother came in. Uh, the guy's brother came in and we did the same thing. And so these two brothers, uh, Matt and Jack, yeah. um, both of them came in said, saying, I want to buy a million dollar property. I've got enough savings to put down a 20% deposit, so I want an $800,000 loan. And that, that's it. So as far as any other broker is concerned, both of those two clients are $800,000 um, loans and we get on with it. Now, once we went through the goals, it became apparent that the younger of the two brothers was kind of looking eventually to have kids, but not for another five years or so. And so the property that he was buying was kind of a bit more than he needed for, for quite some time, and then, but completely unsuitable once he had kids anyway. So the same scenario as Christian was saying. So we ended up talking him down to buying a $700,000 property that he could potentially keep when he buys the family home in the future. Yeah. Now, the older brother, they wanted kids like the next year. And the property that they could get for a million bucks was only going to be maybe a townhouse or something that was going to be just about suitable for the kids while they were little. And then as soon as the kids got a little bit bigger, the property was going to be unsuitable. And so, and, and the area, and the, they, were, they were both looking at slightly different areas. The area that the older brother was looking in, I said, well, what would it cost you to buy a home, like a proper home on a, its own block of land that you could potentially um, upgrade later. Oh, that'd be like 1.2, 1.3. Well, we had a look at it, and although they didn't have enough savings to do that, if they used a family guarantee that they could buy that 1.2, 1.3 million dollar property, and then they'd have their home, they'd have their family home. So these two brothers that both presented with this, and they both, both, by the way, had the same income, their partners had the same incomes. It was, the scenarios were identical when you looked at it on paper. But once we went through the goal setting, one bought a $700,000 property and one bought a $1.25 million property. And both got most, much better out outcomes than they would have done if they'd have just, if we'd have just executed their order. Yeah. But it feels wrong to just execute an order from someone when you go, oh, you're going to regret <laughs> this in the future. Yeah. And yeah, that's what most brokers are, really good order executors. Yeah. 
Yeah. So where does that come from from you guys? You think it's like you just can't sleep at night? Because I mean, it's in real estate, it's the same thing. Are you an ethical agent or are you just transactional? Are you just trying to get it done? Um, do you think most brokers feel like if they don't just execute and they try and give advice that they won't get the business and someone will just, is it's that? Very, what we do is very inefficient. Yeah. 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 So if you want to run an, a, an, a lean, efficient, profitable business, you don't do what we do. Um, you, you just churn, burn out mortgages. You, you, and exactly. We're cutting this out for the investors. <laughs> <laughs> you just <laughs> no. You, you you just you just write the loan. You ask for a loan. I got you a loan. Oh, you asked for the wrong loan and you bought the wrong property. <laughs> Sucks to be you. Yeah. Um, you know. Oh, you got to sell a property. Great. You sell a property. We do another loan. I'm your broker. I got you the loan. It's yeah. not my fault. You bought something you ended up having to sell because it was a bit shit because which we could have predicted at the time um so it's it's much more that again it, we're in the business of helping people achieve their goals that's the business that golden eggs runs now if you want to help people achieve their goals then you have to accept the fact that sometimes you're gonna do things in a in a you know spend a bit more time to understand people to go but what you're telling me what you want to do now and what you're telling me you want to do in the future don't match so tell me which one is more important is it more important to hit the future or is it more important to hit the now mm. and nine times out of ten they'll tell us it's the, it's the future that's more important than the now but everyone's focused on the now yeah um, so that's it, it's that's the philosophy that I come with um, and we, you know we always say the values of the company to be um, helpful genuine fun and curious um, genuine is, is we are here to help you. We are here to help people hit their goals. And if we can't help them hit their goals, if we're not, and if we're not genuine about that, then, then, then you, you shouldn't really be working for Golden Eggs. Um, you should be working for someone else. And so you can call it ethics, but it's, not, it's, it's more than ethics because it's not just, oh, we're not doing anything wrong. Hmm. Ethics is like, I've been told not to do this, not I feel like I shouldn't do it. Yeah, like almost a morality correct. that's added to it, genuine. Yeah, a genuine perfect person or an ethical person. It's like I didn't run them over because I'll go to jail. Versus I yeah. shouldn't run them over. It's like oh my god, imagine if you ran someone over, how awful that would be for them and their family, and, and how t dreadful it would be. Like, yeah. let's drive carefully to make sure that stuff doesn't happen. Yeah, it's 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 more like it's more empathetic, I guess. Mm. Is yeah, the, is the word. Um, yeah. And so, and again, when it comes to like, you know, we, we, property planning is, you know, you can want to have a 10 property portfolio, but you find there's a number of stumbling blocks, not least of all borrowing capacity. Um, but also if you want to have a 10 property portfolio, where are those 10 properties? Are they all just in the neighboring suburb? Yeah. They're all just units in the neighboring suburb. That's what people think of. They think a home is a house and an investment property is a unit down the road. Yeah, it's like yeah, very typical. That's the typical typical first up investor. Yeah, they buy in the same suburb or neighbouring suburb. And they buy a unit in that, in that you know same or neighbouring suburb, and then if you want to own multiple of those, well, well, that may be two or three of those. Mm. They also do crazy stuff. I always laugh when people do, when people say they say this. Well, we've got two kids, so we want two investment properties so they can live near us. And we go, well, that's interesting. Firstly. Those kids that you've got at the moment are like five and six years old. And you're assuming that during their teenage years, they won't rebel and learn to hate you or, yeah. or just want to get away and just want to do their own thing. 
They don't just want to live in mum and dad's house because yeah. mum and dad bought it for them. Trying, it's down the road. Trying to predict the unpredictable. <laughs> exactly right. And spending money on it. Yeah, it's, it's like you, you, wouldn't wouldn't it be better if you just owned a great investment property that was somewhere else that was you know. Yeah, yeah. people apply like good decent investment logic when they're buying shares, but they don't. A lot of that logic comes over to property, and they don't always seem to apply it because it becomes more emotional owning a house. I guess. Yeah. Oh, I know, but I, I want to be able to see it. I want to really? drive past it. Do you, know, do you know how stressful that is? Have you ever owned a property? I, I, I've rented out the family home when we lived in Asia. Mm. And you well, come back and the weeds are growing exactly up. Exactly right. Yeah, I've if seen the, it a million if the, times. If the lawn's not mowed, the weeds are growing over, it yep. makes you feel like crap. Yeah. Now, is it affecting the value of your investment? No. They just didn't mow the lawn today. They might have been planning to mow it tomorrow. You don't know that. You only saw it that one day. And what you don't need as an investor is to be stressed out about a property because you keep walking past it because you like to look at your investment property mm. and go, oh, tenants are not in the mind and lawn, you know, and, and you're just seeing superficial nonsense. Besides which is, you, you might be considered stalking tenants. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's that emotional thing and, and what you have to understand that there's, an, there's always going to be an emotional element to it. Um, but I'm quite happy owning property in the States that I don't see. I'm selling a house at the moment in the UK. I've still to this day, I've owned it for 15 years. I've never seen it. Yeah. Never looked at it. Saw some photos of it recently, quite interesting. Don't think I ever saw photos of it inside before I bought it. Well, you just bought with um, in Perth without seeing. Yeah, I did. I, I, I went off a, I wouldn't say a complete whim. I did get him to do a quick video through the property. Mm. Um, but I was pretty certain, I mean, I, I relied heavily on the, the building report, uh, but I was pretty certain of the area, um, of what I could do with the property in the future. And to be honest, I probably paid 20 grand over what, what I could have got the property for, but I really didn't want to lose that property. Right, because you identified it as a great area to get into or there wasn't like a lot of stock around, which I guess would also add to that. I, I saw stock starting to dry up um, and I just knew that the, the, the area was going to be a great long-term area. Um, so I, was, I wasn't going to sit around and negotiate over a few pennies with the guy. So I, I, I put out a, a 485 offer on the property and I, I got the contract within a day. Yeah, a, a lot of people approach buying houses like like buying cars. They come in and they you know try and get it for the cheapest, and then that that's the best result. But sometimes paying twenty grand extra, that'll look cheap as chips in six months. Yeah, yeah, and, and we we saw this before. I mean, you know, we we had a because uh, we talk about property all the time, uh, Christian and I. So so Christian bought his per, per, first property up in um, Kumara. So you guys bought together. Yeah. Yep. Um, he did the negotiating and I did the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that, that sort of negotiating on property. But the reason we were looking at Queensland at the time was because, like, the area was just ridiculously underpriced. You could just look at it and go, oh, yeah. this, is, this is a bargain. <laughs> we, we, we were talking about this the other day. We couldn't believe it going back and we were looking and I was you know doing some research while we were pumping in numbers to his spreadsheet and we were like wait a second one of these sold in 2018 for 300,000 and we're looking all in the mid twos and we're just like wait a second yeah like, it had it will go back definitely yeah at some point where we were buying during the royal commission when no one else was 
and it was just that kind of like that's you, right it was the royal yeah. commission there from was, yeah um there, there was, was no so there. much then there was so much stock available at the time it we was, one day we saw something like 36 properties it was easy in Coomera, though, because they were all townhouses. So the same thing. And when you're yeah, not emotional yeah, yeah, yeah. about the investment, it was pump it in, kind of try and read the agent. <laughs> Put out 20 offers and see yeah. if he's got the <laughs> Re- reverse Reverso on the, um, on the whole auction, right? We, yeah. we, we made them the auctioneers. We, in fact, by the end of it, we needed a spreadsheet to to track where our offers were at. Because <laughs> as soon as we'd go up on one offer, I'd have to make 19 other calls to bring it up just in case someone might take that one. Yeah. We even tried, there was one agent selling two units for the same vendor and we tried to, to load a, a two to take for two deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah that was he fun. almost took it. But that was, it was, that was a great time. Yeah. But, and it, you know, and we, that's, that's what we bought in, um, uh, in Zilmir. Um, oh, yeah. Damn. And, uh, and, and that was a great one. Yeah, that, that, exactly right. But again, it was just it was just the the numbers are saying that this is just a steal. Yeah. Um, and you bought in uh, Strathpine as well. Yep. yep. Um, the numbers were solid there. Once again, you just you almost you almost had to like you know shed your disbelief because you're like a house costs this much here exactly in a central right. city. It yeah. doesn't make in Sydney. This these numbers would be. Four to five times. So the one thing about the Strathpine story when we went up there is we did all of our research prior to flying on Kalanga. And then we oh. turned up and drove through Strathpine because we were like, this is kind of a little bit too shit. There was like, it was... It was sticks. It was, it was it a like lot sticks. of still housing. And we drove past and there's this big construction site. And we're like, what the hell is that? And then we did a bit of research and it was where the brand new uni was going. We were like, oh my God, we'd never heard of Strathpine. So then we actually, we ended up buying this a suburb, two suburbs over from where we did all of our research prior to going. Mm. Yeah, and it wasn't that, it wasn't a big difference in the price from Kalanga to Strathpine. Nope. There was a small small jump in prices, but the, 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 the area and the numbers, and we could get the same size land. Yep. Um, and I think the subdivision, not that we'd done any of that, but the subdivision rules were better in Strathpine as well. Yeah. Um, and then it's just like, well, let's buy here. Yeah. And then, of course, we did a shitload of research. I say we. I did a shitload of research on, on Perth because I, I knew that Perth had been <laughs> yeah. smashed. And, um, you know, this is going back 18 months ago. I remember. Uh, and uh, I've, got, I've still got the, the cheat here. I literally, because I, I did it all by hand, I went through, you know, what's the, what was the, pro, what's the price today? What, where is it in relation to the peak of 2014? Because their market peaked in 2014. Is that commodities boom? Yeah. the mining was going nuts? Yeah, so it, it sort of, it, it ramped up. And in 2014, uh, Perth prices were more expensive than Sydney. Um, and wow. then, of course, Perth died from then on. Yeah. And, and Sydney carried on to kind of boom yeah. several times since. I actually had a conversation with someone that when you first started talking about Perth, I had a conversation about looking there again, because I'm now looking. And that same person who went, why the hell would you buy in Perth? Is like, oh yeah, Perth's a great option, and, it, and it's literally two hundred grand over what it was eighteen months ago. Yeah. It's so seen, frustrating. There, there is the bell curve of, of like early, early adopters. innovators or adopters. <laughs> well, there's innovators, then there's adopters. Not that we're innovators, but there's innovators, early adopters, and then there's the mainstream. The yeah. mainstream, and then it's like, well, you, you, you sometimes you got to pick up property as like at the very start when everyone else is going. That doesn't make sense. I've heard that that place is shit, and the the mining the mine crash happened, and and why would you ever buy in Perth? Yeah, it's just a boom and bust town. It's like I've heard that so many times. Like, what are you talking about? You mean 
there was a run up and then there was a run down. Because um, the, 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 there was a one off, I mean, it really was a generational shift in um, you know, what happened in the post GFC is that uh, a load of money poured into Perth. Something like the annual investment went from something like 10 billion a year to 50 billion a year. Mm. And when you invest in mining, you have to build a mine. Now, to build a mine takes six times the workers than what it takes to run a mine. Mm. So it might take you, you know, a thousand people to build a mine, and then you only need about 120, 150 to run it. Yeah. But of course, so of course, all these people suddenly there's all this money came in to Perth, and and it bounced up the prices and did all everything else. But this is a once in a generational thing. And then, of course, those people disappeared as the mines got running and everything else. When you look at um, Perth employment today, 95% of people employed in Perth are not in mining. Do you think that's remote working? Because the whole COVID thing threw a curveball on all these random real estate markets. And I don't mean Perth, no, I mean like per- rural, yeah, so rural New South Wales. You have to look at Perth over the last 60 years and, and see that it's consistently grown at two and a half percent a year for 60 years yeah and, and that's not that's not suddenly mining it's not suddenly covid it's not suddenly anything it's just australia perth perth sydney brisbane melbourne all of them two mm. two and a half percent a year 60 years mm. that's the that is the long term yeah that's the long term average yeah so um, yeah so that, that, that's just how things are and um uh, yeah, it might grow slightly more. So just for that for that one period of time, it was suddenly there was more people there, and that stuffed the market. Yeah. But when we were looking eighteen months ago, uh, one of the things we were looking at was uh, was days on market. Do you remember that? Yes. And and it was like the average days on you know or days of supply. So if if you had a suburb, for example, where the average number of sales in a year is say a hundred sales in a year. Yeah. And there are currently forty properties for sale. Yeah. That means that you can say, well, that's 40, 40% of the year's supply. supply sitting yeah. there and 40% of the year is like five months stock. Yeah. So we were looking at areas that had four or five months worth of stock mm. in areas that were still some, but some areas 18 months ago had already passed their 2014 20, peak. So they, they dipped and then they'd recovered again. But there were some areas that hadn't quite made it. And we were looking at about, you know, 10 Ks out from the city. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, we were looking at those. Those same areas today have got like they've got no days of supply. It's like this stuff uh, just it just comes and goes. Yeah, yeah it it really is frustrating looking at Balga now. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's literally two hundred grand over what we were looking um, at. Uh, yeah, that, that triplex zoning, and you're just like, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, when I was buying last year, because I because we bought two houses in Nolamara. Yeah, because Balga I stumbled across as a suburb accidentally when I was just showing a client how to do some research, and I mm. and they just, you know, we just go, have, they haven't mentioned Perth or something. I said I don't really know Perth. Let's just look at it. And I said this is how I look at areas. And then I look at the next suburb out, and the next suburb out, and the next suburb out. And I go, oh, this looks really interesting here, Balga. Mm. So I started looking at Balga as an area, and then went, oh, actually, you can get now if you go in a suburb and in a suburb from there. And we got to Nolamara. I go, geez, this is like ten k's out from the city, ten k's from the beach, and houses are like four hundred and something thousand. Yeah, houses, four hundred and something thousand. Decent block sizes. That, like that's less than a than a studio in Sydney. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and and 
and and and yet when you go back to what people were saying about Perth two years ago, and I think I want to like call on Daniel Kahneman here. There seems to be that like you know the two system, uh, oh, yeah, two system and the the, the the fast reaction is to just dismiss it because you don't want to think about it and you Correct. just go. Oh, Perth shit! It's it's a it's a boom bust town. Yeah, I don't want to yeah, think yeah. about it. Blah blah blah. But now that mentality's changed, and it's off the whim of of the of the growth in the last what six months. Yeah. Um, do, do you think? Yet, I mean, there's still good buying still there if if you can find the stock. Yeah. Um, still plenty. Yeah, there's still plenty of good options. But, uh, yeah. but, but when I because because I bought one in January last year and I wanted to buy like three houses. But you then, just couldn't find the stock? It's just, you know, you just get busy. It's just like, you know, you f- find something and you, I found one. I, I found it, I got another, like, the second one was in June and already I was thinking, oh, shit, I've missed it. I've missed it. Yeah. You know, I was like, this has got to happen. The same way we were with Brisbane three years ago, whenever it was, four years ago. It was like, oh, my God, this is like, this. the deals here are so good. we just got to get in. we just got to do it. we just got to do it. Yeah. Um, and and it, it was almost like that fear of missing, missing out, out before, <laughs> before it, it before it took off. And then once yeah. it took off, people oh, what? And people go, oh, what do you think about Brisbane now? It's like, yeah, it's okay, I'm getting out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I am actually selling my Brisbane my, my Zilmer property now. Oh, beautiful. Um, it's just gone on the market yesterday. Both of them? Because you've no, cause, done the so subdivision did, there, right? We did the side by side, but to, when we did the side by side in the end, it was my uh, eldest son Josh that did the second. Bill. Okay. So yep. he owns a second build. He's keeping that. He's happy with that. Do you know what your like what your one got appraised for? Um, so is it more than what? Because I uh, how do I ask this without making you say the numbers? Oh, I don't mind. It's because it's, oh, okay. it's, it's, yeah. it's one of those things. that public knowledge. You can find it easy anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, when we've done bank valuations, the bank valuations come in at like eight fifty to eight eighty. Those, do you remember? We, we those seven hundred blocks that we couldn't afford at the time. They were like asking six hundred for it. The like pre subdivided yeah, old I, shitty I, ones, and you would have paid I, what we paid for Strathpine. My, three, five, four? no, no. So, so I paid five sixty because mine was a okay. du- it was a double block. It was a genuine double block. It was, it was, it was two a blocks. very large block. It was it, it, oh, before okay. they subdivided. They built two houses. What was it? No, no, it was one. Means? It was one house on a. It was a two lot. Uh, uh, thing yeah so in order to do a subdivision it was a 200 hundred dollar application to council oh <laughs> wow Cause okay because it, it was already on two lots it yeah. was, it was, i didn't subdivide it into two lots it already was and i paid 560 it was advertised at 595 but yeah. we just got the buyer's agent to have a play yeah so they got it for 560 so so we got that for 560 and then we built two four bedroom houses side by side four bedrooms two garage Two living space, two bathroom, four bedrooms. Really good looking single levels. Like, yeah, yeah. High, high, high ceilings. ceilings. And they cost, yeah. <laughs> do you know what they cost, to, cost, cost us to build? 120 each? No, uh, two, no two, 231. Each. 231 to build, yeah. And I know that th- 300 would have been a good average at the time. So now, you, uh, your input costs are your basically getting out of one of them. So five, 560, then five, you put 470, 460 into the build. So, you, so it's, it's, it's just basically call it, call it just over a million bucks. Yeah, and then we, and then oh, DAs as well, I guess. No, there's no, no DAs. DAs. There's only two hundred dollars to council. T- so. No, but for the for the properties, you would have had to. No. Do. What? Really? I don't know. Queensland zoning then. No, Very it, well. it, you don't need to put the DA in for the build because you have to put in a building approval. But it's yeah. not. It's just a you've got a block of land. It's like having a vacant block of land. Yeah. If you've got a vacant block of land that's allowed to have a house built on it. 
you just say, can I build my house on this, please? And they go, yeah, that's fine. They don't have to approve plans of the build. They, they have to check the plans of the build, but they're not, they're not, they're approving to allow that build to happen. But as long as you meet the regs, in other words, you've got these setbacks correct and yeah. everything else, then it's, it's done. So that just you know that affects the floor plan, but but the builder handled all of that, included in the two thirty one. Yeah, wow. So, but my son built. So I built one. We built one, and my son built the other one. Um, so he's keeping his. But that mean, meant my one actually cost me because of the way we did the numbers. My cost me about five twenty five thirty. Now I said that the bank said it was worth eight fifty to eight eighty. But when I asked different local agents, they said I reckon you might get low eights for it. And I've gone, really? The So I'm not using an agent. You're just going to sell it privately? So I'm using For Sale by Owner, which is an yeah. online platform. Yeah. And, and because it's up in Brizzy, I'm, I've gone onto Airtasker and I'm paying someone 200 bucks a day to stand there at the open home. <laughs> so it's good. Uh, I hope you get fucking 900 for it <laughs> and then put them all out of work so yeah. but, you know normally it, it, it normally works the other way around you go you go well I, I you know I'd love to get um, you know I'd be happy if I got 850 and the agents are going oh yeah you'll get 850 950 something like that and they try and talk it up to try and win the business yeah but in this case the agents were sort of saying oh no I think it's you know 8, 820 so yeah, but what other new properties are there? Four bedrooms, two bathrooms, two living spaces, two car garage, solar panels. Mm. Tell me what other stock there is around. Mm. There isn't any. Uh, we obviously were buying cheaper property, but I got this distinct feeling from Brisbane Gold Coast agents when you're dealing with them that because they can do offers over and they just <laughs> yeah. open stuff up and they have these finance and, and pest and building clauses that you know, are so heavily favoured to the buyers that they just really kind of, they're more relaxed. I don't want to say they don't care, but they're just like, yeah, offers over this, give me something that. Otherwise, they just kind of say no because they're probably so used to things falling over all the time. Yeah. Um, oh, you're being signalled out. I've been signalled out. I've, yeah, plus we've got, we've got a client coming in soon, so we probably should wrap things up and yeah. maybe pick something up uh, another week. But yeah, yeah well, and, and we'll give you the update on the sales in uh, in yes. Grimsby and uh, Zilmia. Yeah, beautiful. Well, who knows if this will ever see the light of day? But that was a good yeah. first. Uh, we've been going for an, an hour and twenty three minutes. That's so. again, not yeah, surprising. Was, I think some yeah, good no. stuff there at the end. Beautiful. I really uh, liked the the bit about the Titanic conspiracy. <laughs> I, I had no idea we were recording. Uh, I, I was about to go. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks for listening to the first episode of the Golden Next Podcast. I feel like we got into our stride towards the end of that one. The second one, we'll come back with some new ideas, some new topics to discuss. Have a great week. Good luck investing, guys, and we'll see you in the next one.